0: Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby say Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. So, now we start with uh, a man named Abraham. A man named Abraham. And for the next 2,000 years... For the next 2,000 years, this man named Abraham will begin the story of God and man that will lead up to God's only son saving the world from sin and death. And like any good cowboy story, it started with a dream of heading west. We meet the founder and patriarch Of the Jewish people, a man from the Ur of Chaldees, a man named Abram. Now, when uh, Abram uh, was living in Ur of Chaldees with his father, okay, and his brother's kids. His brother has passed away already. And then God says, leave the land of your fathers and travel to a land that I will show you. So Abram does that and he goes to a place called Haran, okay? Now, when he is in Haran, he is about 75 years old, okay? He will... will, uh, sorry, he will become the father of three religions, okay? Now you have to understand, he doesn't start the religions, okay, he just becomes the patriarch of these three religions. Do you know what three those are? One would be Judaism, right? The Jewish people, right? The second one would be Islam, okay? That is actually from uh, Abraham's other son, named Ishmael would also be the father of a religious, a group of people and then Christianity because Christianity is rooted in Judaism with Abe. So Abe accomplished many things in his life and it's pretty crazy that the first 2000 years in the book of Genesis took 11 chapters and 12 through 50 takes, it takes that much To describe the life of Abraham and his sons, okay? Um, But probably the thing you need to remember most about Abe, because we are fixing to go like a slingshot through about 38 chapters, okay? These are the things that I want you to remember. He was a regular guy. Okay. See, we I think that we have this idea that that these are, are super, super special people. And from last week, remember I asked you to keep another thing in mind. Not just the agreements that God has with the people that He has made, and ultimately a chosen race of people that would come from one man that actually didn't have any kids. <laughs> and uh He didn't do anything special except be chosen by God, okay? Like, like that's what made him special is that God chose him out of everybody else. And there's nothing special about Abram. As a matter of fact, when it, it, he goes to Haran first and then to the land of Canaan, okay? Now let me put that into a little bit. If, if, if I told, if God told Ty, uh, let's let, let's do let's do me because it's Texas geography. If God told me go to the land that I will show you and start a cowboy ministry, and I was in Fort Worth, Texas, and I did that, Abram went from Fort Worth, Texas, to Kiowa, Colorado, and that's still a bad example. That's about how far it is from the Ur of Chaldeans to Haran. Is about six hundred miles. So I would have gone if he told me to go, let's use Las Vegas is a, is a better one, is he told me to go to Vegas and start a cowboy ministry but I'm gonna stop by Kiowa on the way, okay? That's what he did and he stayed there a long time. So don't get it in your mind that God said, get up and go to the land that I showed you and he just packed his bags and went there. No, he, man, he stayed there until his daddy died, okay? And then when he gets to the promised land, guess what happens? Crazy story. Well, they're all crazy stories in Abraham's life. But he gets there. He's 75 years old. He's been promised a child that hasn't been delivered yet. And he starts in the north and he keeps going down until he gets south of what is now Jerusalem into the Negev Desert. And that's where he stops. He didn't stop in the lush, fertile valleys. See, he went back because the Ur of the Chaldeans is in the desert. He was looking for what he knew, not what God has promised, right? He kept looking for his old life in the new land and as a result of that, God said, listen, if you're not gonna appreciate what I gave you and you wanna live in the desert, how about this? I'll give you a, I'll give a famine in the land. You don't wanna be here? Go somewhere else. So he goes to Egypt and all of this stuff happens and oh my gosh, it's crazy. But the thing you need to remember the most is he's an ordinary guy who did something crazy, he believed God. Now think about that for a second. He believed what God said. Most of the time, well, it, it probably took some doing, but eventually, eventually he believed God, right? Does that sound like anybody else's story? Does that sound like anybody else's story? Like you believe God, it just takes you, takes you a minute to get there and there might be some trials and tribulations and and blah, 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 but He's just a normal guy. The beauty of Abraham being chosen is that God chose him, not that Abraham was special. And you want to know something even more remarkable? Is that each and every one of you would not be watching here today or listening to the sound of my voice if God had not done the same thing with you. He chose you. Now, what he chooses you to do is going to be probably different than what he chose to do Abraham, but no less impactful to the kingdom of God. So Abram leaves Ur and goes to Haran, he's 75 when he leaves Haran for Canaan, and we will see God making promises to Abraham and all of his descendants, primarily in chapters 12, 15, and 17. It's a progressive, I'm going to do this for you, I'm going to give you a son. And then I'm gonna, your son's gonna become a great nation, and then all the nations of the world will be blessed. I mean, it's a, it's an ongoing uh, uncovering of God's covenant blessing. And in chapter 17, there comes something that I, I wouldn't, if if you're a little squeamish, or you, or or there's any sissy Christians out there, don't go read this story. Okay, no no sissies are gonna understand. So God. Abraham, like I said, he believed God, but he needed some reassurance, okay? He's like, no, I believe you, but it ain't happening. And I'm 75, 78 years old. You told me I was going to have a kid, and time is running out. Time is running out. And his wife is 10 years younger than him. Her time is running out too, right? But then whenever he brings this up, Time after time after time, Abraham does about God that hasn't given him anything. God says, go get me, get this, God says, go get me a heifer, a three-year-old heifer, a sheep and a goat and three different types of birds. One was a pigeon, one was a turtle dove and one was something else. And so what he does is he tells Abram, kill these animals and cut them lengthwise in half. Put one half on this side, of the he- one half of the heifer here, one half of the heifer here, one half of the goat, one half of the goat, one half of the sheep, one half of the sheep, and don't worry about the birds. They'll be fine. They'll be dead, but they'll be fine, right? And then it says Abram fell into a deep, deep ominous sleep, okay? He's surrounded by darkness, right? And then all of a sudden, in between all of these animals that have been cut right down the middle lengthwise, laid out for everything, he sees a vision of a fire pot coming towards him between all of the animals. That's Stephen King stuff, right? That's Stephen King horror movie, right? But Abram knew exactly what it meant. Because in 2000 BC, this was a blood covenant, okay? This is how treaties were made and everything. And usually both parties walked through the aisle between the bodies, right? To signify that we would do this unto death, right? Well, Abram, didn't walk through that, only God did, only God did to signify the unconditional promise that he made with Abram was that it doesn't matter what you do, I will fulfill the promise that I made, I vow it on myself that's why he was the only one to walk through there and if you're still like I don't understand how many of you got a blood brother out there where you cut your hand and shook their hand and like we're blood brothers now you know kids used to do that right this is a blood uh, compact this is a covenant okay Um, what we see next is that God gives Abram, well, he has been given him, but he says, here's the land that I have given you. The title to that land is unconditional. Your residence in that land is conditional. And if you read the Old Testament, well, if you read the Bible, you will see over and over and over this deal of where when they did what God wanted, everything was great. When they left out from under the protection of God's wings. God doesn't have wings, but you know what I mean like a mother hen. When they got out from under his protection by doing things that he they weren't supposed to, then you know the northern kingdom of Israel which was Dan and and a bunch of others, right? All but two were in the northern kingdom. They are uh booted out, never to, never to return as a solid group. Now, Judah, the southern kingdom, was taken into Babylon and brought back 70 years later. We talked about that in our previous series. So why does God make us do things differently than other people, right? This is is where so many Christians get hung up because they don't understand these covenants, these these, uh, blood oaths that are made. But see, God didn't want a nation in name only. He wanted one that would be defined by loyalty to him. Okay, He said, I'm gonna make you a great nation and this is how I'm gonna do it. Y'all are going to have to stand apart from other people so that I might know, so that y'all, the other nations might know the greatness of me, right? And so the first sign of this new covenant was also a blood covenant. It's called circumcision. It's called circumcision. Every Jewish boy starting with Abraham, he did it. Even his entire household including his sons on the eighth day are circumcised. But come on, let's all ask the question. If that's how we're gonna stand out, how are people gonna know? right? If that is going to separate us from everybody else, is this like an ID card that we're supposed to flash? I mean, I don't know, right? But, but hang on a second. Hang on a second. It's the same reason, listen to me, it's the same reason God waited 25 years after Abram got to the Holy Land to give him a child. Because come on man, think about this. At 75 and 65, is there a chance that a baby can be born? Probably, what about at 100 male and 90 female? No, that's why God made Abram wait for the fulfillment of his promise so that there would never be any mistake, who was responsible? It wasn't Abraham's great genetics, right? It wasn't, you know, Sarah's great genetics. She was barren. What he wanted, the circumcision, is no different than the reason God made Abram wait. And here it is they had to know that it was God's doing. The fulfillment of God's plan wouldn't come from the power in the loins of men, hence circumcision, but by the power of God. It was a way to say no man can fulfill these requirements, only God can and we are going to symbolize that By a strange method that will remind all men that we have no power. Only God does. God's fulfillment of His plan will never come from men, or from from humans. It will only come from the power of God. We will soon see how rebellion and loss, and then the power of God's love and His promises, will be played out for the next 2,000 years. 2,000 years. Um, you might be wondering what is happening in the world right now. Um, actually, right after Abram left the Ur of the Chaldeans, they were invaded, and that town was literally razed. It's kind of funny they say razed to the ground. It was burnt to the ground. Nobody survived it, which is in not in biblical history, but in real history. Oh, uh, well, I don't mean to say real history, but the, the one that most people subscribe to, right? So, uh, so what can we learn from the life of Abram? Seriously, what can we learn from the life of Abram? There's no way I could, spree, I, could, I could literally, I didn't just go through Genesis. I went, and you can ask my wife this, she is so sick and tired of the life of Abraham because I, I, I bet I've watched 30 hours worth of sermons and study material, just on Abraham, not on his kids, not on anything else. So what can we learn? What is 30 hours of study material on the life of Abraham only? What can we learn? Listen, if, if we take a, uh, if we take the view of his life from as high as an eagle can fly looking down, here are the three things that you can learn. From the life of Abraham that will change your life today. The power of belief. In Genesis chapter 15 verse 6, the Bible says this, and Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of this. Okay? Now, that, that's, that's pretty intense. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. See, righteous is one of those words that a lot of people use, but not really many people understand what it is. Let me tell you what righteous means. Righteous means right standing with God. There's nothing in the way of that relationship. That's what righteousness is. It means that your relationship with God is unhindered or maybe we can say you're in the zone. You've confessed all your sins, you're being obedient, you believe in the promises, not just the ones that have been fulfilled but the ones that haven't of his second return and all of this. And and listen, did you know that Jesus in the New Testament said the only works that God requires is to believe in the one that he sent. Now, why would God require that work? Because it takes belief in his son to get to heaven, right? So the only works that God requires is to believe in the one that he sent. And there is power in believing that God, what God said is true. It absolutely is. And we can also learn from the life of Abram right now is that the fruit of belief, what belief makes, what happens when you believe is this, obedience. And without obedience, listen, without obedience, then our belief is immature at best and fake at worst. When you believe and you truly believe, the result of that belief is obedience, is obedience. The second thing that we can learn from the life of Abram is not just the power of belief, but the power of obedience. In Genesis 22, verse 2, God tells Abram this. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac. Now, we both know that Abram had two boys, right? In in the beginning, right? Ishmael was the oldest. It was by his, uh, uh, Sarah's handmaiden was an Egyptian woman named Hagar. And when Sarah wasn't having any kids, um, she gave Hagar to Abraham so that they took matters into their own hands. And while God eventually blessed Ishmael, he did not bless Hagar because Hagar caused problems between her and Sarah. But the son Isaac is the son of promise, okay? Genesis 22:2: two, the power of obedience. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much and go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you the fruit of obedience, and he does that. And Isaac, who is old enough, (laughs) he's old enough to understand what's happening. As they're walking up the mountain, he goes, where's the offering, dad? And dad says, the Lord will provide. And then he gets in there and he goes to kill Isaac, and God says, don't harm that boy. Because you have not, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, The fruit of obedience, though, if we say the fruit of belief is obedience, what do you think the fruit of obedience is? It's surrender. It's surrender. What can we learn from the life of Abram? We can learn the power of belief. He believed God and it was accredited to him as right standing just because Abram believed God. And he believed God by obeying God and the power of surrender. And in Genesis chapter 22 verses 16 through 18, here is the power of surrender. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you've obeyed me. That's what surrender looks like. You know what the fruit of surrender is? Blessing. Blessing. Now if you go read about the life of Abram, he never had an easy life because you don't get great without hard. You don't get great without difficult. There is no shortcut. You believe, and that belief results in obedience, and that obedience to God's word becomes surrender. And when you surrender your life fully to the power of God, things change. Not just for you, but the people around you, the people that love you. Your light shines bright in this world because you believed, and because you believed, you obeyed, and because you obeyed, you submitted, and because you have submitted, that you hold nothing back. You hold nothing back from God. I will bless you. I will bless you. And a surrendered life is the most powerful way a man or woman can truly live their life. It is our highest purpose to surrender everything that we have to God. The first step is usually baptism, where we surrender our life to Him. But surrendering our life is oftentimes easier than surrendering those other things, aren't they? Before we move on to the kids of Abraham, I wanna mention there's a, there's a guy in the Old Testament that's mentioned in the New Testament, and his name is Melchizedek. And some of you might have read about Melchizedek. So. Abram has his, bro- his dead brother's son with him, Lot. Lot has a wife and uh, they both get so big with their own personal property that their shepherds or cowboys are fighting with each other over grazing lands. So basically Abram tells Lot, take whatever side of this country you want and I'll take the other side, pick it. <laughs> Lot's not stupid, man, he raises sheep. He's like, I'll take the grasslands. He's like, okay, the problem with the grasslands is that's where Sodom and Gomorrah was. Everybody wanted to live in the grasslands. Abram chose the, the desert, right? But a uh, lot gets captured, and Abraham has to go re- rescue him, and, and he does, because Abraham, or Abram at the time, splits his forces at night and they attack at night. Nobody had ever done that before. And so they win, and they defeat that army, they get their lot back with a lot of other things. And they stop by a place called Salem. And there, Abram offers a 10th of the plunder. Now, you have to understand, it wasn't a 10th of his stuff. It was a 10th of what he had taken from that other army, okay? It was a 10th of that. Now, why did he do that? Because it was a king of Salem, and a king rules an area Abram was residing in that area, so it was Abram's responsibility to offer tribute to the king in that deal, but this king is special because he's mentioned in the Old Testament and New Testament, okay, why? Because it said that Jesus will be of the order of Melchizedek, what does that mean, right? This is what it means. Melchizedek was the king of what would be Jerusalem, the king of Salem, right? But he was a follower of the one true God. And he was not only the king of Salem, he was the high priest of Salem. And see, in the millennium, during the thousand year reign that we will all be a part of, hopefully, if you believe in God, then God... Well, Jesus will come down. He'll sit on the throne of Jerusalem. He will be our king, but he will also be our high priest, okay? And if you refer back to whenever we were talking about Daniel and Ezra and all of that, we talked about Balaam when he said a star would come from Israel, a star and a scepter, star representing godhood, scepter representing kingship. That's why Melchizedek is important. Foreshadowing Jesus all right, enough with that. so the blessing is passed on from the promise from Abraham and Sarah to Isaac. L- listen, let me, let me let me give you a brief rundown of Isaac. There's not that much great about him, okay He had twin boys, okay, he had twin boys, and he couldn 't see very good, and his momentous part of life is he dug, he dug water wells. That, that was Isaac. I mean, there wasn't really that anything special about him, right although he did play favorites with his two boys. he His two boys, the oldest one was Esau, and the youngest one was Jacob, okay? And Esau was born first, and Jacob was born second, holding to Esau's heel, right? Well, Isaac favors Esau because he's the firstborn, but Esau was a manly man. He was red. He had a ruddy complexion. He was real hairy all over his body, and there's nothing that he couldn't kill, hunt, or, or go find right. And Isaac loved Esau. Joseph, or uh, I'm sorry, Jacob. On the other hand, Jacob was a mama's boy. Okay, and, and uh, like that. That's really it. Jacob was a mama's boy, and I think mama took a shine to Jacob because of this. In Genesis 25:23, it says, "Well, let me before I go to there. So what happens at the end of the life? Isaac's fixing to die." And Esau comes in from hunting and he's starving, right? And Joseph, uh, Jacob being the mama's boy, he'd cook some tortilla soup, just like Chili's does, right? Made some tortilla soup. Esau comes in and says, give me a bowl of that soup. <laughs> Jacob looks at him and says, give me your birthright. He goes, done, you can have it. I don't care about it. So he gives Jacob his birthright, right? And so Jacob gives him some tortilla soup and later on when it's time for Isaac to die, they they take the fur of an animal and put it on uh, Jacob's arm so that it feels like Esau's because Isaac is blind now. But here's the thing, none of that really mattered because of what was said in Genesis chapter 25, 23. And the Lord told Rebekah, the sons in your, room, your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve the younger son. Genesis 25, 23. The two sons of Abraham, Abraham or Abram was Judaism and Islam. But if you look at the sons of Isaac, one would continue the line, Right, Jacob would continue the line. Esau was the father of the Edomites, and the Edomites and the Amorites were the Israelites' two biggest enemies, okay, so that's why it says uh one nation will be stronger than the other, and it and it's not the strong hunter that's going to become victorious. it's the mama's boy, right?, <sighs> okay, then comes Jacob and his trans so so. Isaac dies, and by the way, when Abraham died, did you know that the Bible says that that, uh, Isaac and Ishmael both went to bury their father? There was was never anything bad with Ishmael. The problem was his mama uh, Hagar lording it over Sarah that she had Abraham's son, okay? So anyway, it didn't start out like that. So Jacob and his transition to Israel, there's a real famous story about Jacob wrestling with God um, in, in human form and, and he won't let him go. I say wrestle, he just held on to this person that he knew was God or a messenger. He says, I'm not letting you go To you bless me. And, and he didn't and finally God said, okay, fine. You're gonna be blessed and popped his hip out of the socket. There you go, blessing, <laughs> right? So that's what happens when you wrestle with God. He is blessed with a new name and a bad hip. His new name is not Jacob anymore, it's called Israel. Uh, Jacob takes after his dad and plays favorites, but Jacob has 12 sons. The favorite is Joseph, the next to youngest. Okay, you might remember the coat of many colors. Joseph is a dreamer and he tells everybody about the dreams he has and most of it is about how powerful and important Joseph is gonna be and how his brothers aren't. And he doesn't mind sharing that with his brothers right? So they, what they do is they devise a plan to kill Joseph. And then at the last minute, Reuben, the oldest, says, hey, let's not do that. Let's just sell him to these slavers in Egypt. And then later on, we'll go rescue him and we'll look like we'll be on the same level as him then. So they sell Jacob... Uh, they sell Joseph into slavery and then another famine strikes the promised land after that. Joseph is having a horrible time in Egypt. He is in prison at one point and then he becomes a, a servant in the house and the, and the, the high ranking servant's wife tries to sleep with him to the point that she uh, detrousers him and he runs out into the street naked so that he doesn't sin against his master or God right? So uh, Joseph is having a really hard time in the land of Egypt, but ultimately becomes, get this, this is the power of God. Joseph becomes vice pharaoh. That's amazing. Here's a, here's a son of a a sheep herder is now vice pharaoh of all of Egypt, right? Well, his brothers go to Egypt to try to find some help. And there's a big long story and it's kind of cool. And it's, It's kind of hard to understand, but Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers that, hey, I'm the brother you sold into Egypt. And then a really famous Bible verse happens in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Man, how many times do you grow up about the position that you're in, that you're having a hard time, that not life is not fair? Listen, other people have gone through that. Other people have gone through that. And it might just be God's working in your life and things that you don't know about. We just must keep the faith. So Jacob becomes Israel and Israel's 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Those are the 12 tribes of Egypt, right? But let me ask you this. When you look on a map, have you ever found the land that was apportioned to Joseph? There is no land of Joseph. Why? Because Joseph's land is divided into two, okay? With his sons, Manasseh. And, uh, oh, what's the other one's name? Uh, I got it wrote down, hang on. Uh, Ephraim, sorry, Ephraim and Manasseh. Joseph's portion of the land is given to his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, but we also know that Levi, the descendants of Levi will be the priests in the temple so they don't get a tract of land. So when they lose one, Two have to come up. So Joseph, God gives Joseph's half to Ephraim and Manasseh to bring it back to the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's why you never see. They traveled through the land of Joseph. You'll see they traveled to Dan. They traveled to Nephtali. They traveled through the land of Benjamin, which actually is where Jerusalem is. Uh, Judah is Bethlehem. So uh, Anyway, that makes the 12 land tracts and so ends Genesis chapter 50. Next week, we will see the expansion of God's plan and to separate his people from other nations. God's plan, promises, and blessings start to take shape. We will learn about what God wants from his people, both Jew and Gentile, and the boundaries of the promised land have been set. Now, if they can just get back to the promised land after 430 years of being enslaved in Egypt. Remember what I said. What can we learn about the life of Abraham, including Isaac and Jacob, is the power of belief. And that belief, if it is true, it's going to lead to obedience. And then from there, it's going to lead to surrender. And surrender is what opens the door to blessings that you cannot contain, understand, or foretell. So speaking of that, what we have now is we have a demonstration of somebody whose belief turned to obedience and their obedience turned into surrender. And now we will see about what a surrendered life is actually looks like.
1: Y estoy muy agradecida con Dios, porque Dios me ha traído a Víctor aquí en la casa. Es un niño bien obediente, porque la verdad que él no me contesta, él él vive contento, él así bien tranquilo, pero es un niño bien amoroso, es un niño bien inteligente, bien calidad. When he arrived at my house,
0: he was three days old.
1: His mom was
0: a girl who lived on
1: the streets. She liked to drink. The truth is, she couldn't take care
0: of him. So she left him here with me. And it's already been so long since that day. I raised him with so much effort
1: I carried him on my back I collected
0: scraps of metal I sold the scraps to buy milk for him
1: I sold scrap metal it was hard for me
0: to raise him back then
1: because my mother was so sick she was bedridden
0: my husband was bedridden too I suffered with him
1: now he tells
0: me thank you mommy for everything you went
1: through and for still
0: pulling through for me the truth is that I am happy very happy It was difficult to arrange the custody paperwork, but thanks to God, he is with me, and I am very happy to have him here, because God gifted him to me.
1: I am 14 years old. I live in El Rosario, Chimantenango, Guatemala. I live with my mother, Julián. I like to help my mom with the housework. And I like to play the guitar and to share with my family. I go to the church. I play instruments in the church. I like to talk with God. And I like to read my Bible. I really like to study because I want to be a good person and I want to have a better life for me and for my family and to
0: change our lives. Yo creo en Dios I truly believe in God. For me, God is my life. God is bueno very good to me tiempo. all the time. He is my salvation. Es God is merciful y Él and He is good to bueno me. Conmigo.
1: He really likes la going to church. Él toca la he plays the guitar. Pero le dedica mucho he dedicates a, Dios, a lot of time dice to él, God.
0: As he says, mama me dices, who am I here on the face of the earth
1: Because me God sent us here. Me he sent me to serve ir a Him. A él. Yo le pido a Dios, Victor no said, I ask God
0: to keep amigos. me on the right path, His path.
1: When he was in sixth grade, I told him,
0: I'm sorry, darling, I can't pay for you to continue going to school. I can't afford it anymore.
1: When he finished sixth
0: grade, he told me about a school
1: where he can continue his education. Victor says, God has allowed me to continue to learn
0: what I wanted more than anything. Being able to learn makes me happy. Because in reality, I thought I wouldn't be able to continue. I thought I was only going to finish the sixth grade. Thanks to
1: God
0: for the scholarship he gave to me. I've been able to study a lot more. They're teaching me English. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. I didn't think I would get this far. Thank you for everything. And what you witnessed there is the son-in-law and daughter sister-in-law of the Oakers, George and Vonda Cisneros, who went to uh, El Rosario, Guatemala, to start a new life. And George will tell you that he did nothing of it except believe, and then he obeyed, and then he surrendered his life. And look at how many children are being blessed because of that belief that obedience and that surrender. God wants to work a story like that in your life if you will only let him. Right now is Ordinary Missionaries. It is their, uh, <laughs> you can see my deal there, my conversation with him. Take that out so none of y'all know who I'm talking about. about. Not really, I don't talk bad about anybody. But seriously, it is their fundraising week this week. If God leaves you ten percent of every dollar that goes to save the cowboy, not talking about the ranch that goes to save the cowboy, ten percent five percent goes to our uh the orphanage we support in Mexico, and the other five percent goes to Guatemala to uh help those kids that without without George there, they would just be another statistic, but him and Vonda are changing lives or more importantly through their belief obedience and submission to God God is blessing them in ways that could be you as well let's go to God in prayer father i pray right now that that there will be somebody that believes finally. And then with that belief that they take that obedience and say, God, I want to do things your way so that I can stand out from the crowd so that I can be a light, not in the darkness. And God, I surrender my life to you. I surrender the comebacks. I surrender my emotions. I surrender my hatred and my anger and my self-worth. I surrender it all and I give it unto you. God, lives are being changed all across this nation, and I pray right now that one more gets changed and that they follow that up by surrendering to believers' baptism as the first step of that obedience and the surrender that we must all take. God, we believe in you. We believe in your power to transform lives, and we believe in your promise that at the end of this life, there will be you, and you are all we need. God, you are a faithful king, and we serve you willingly. And it's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.